and it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. Today, we'll get certain see to it things. Please note that careful attention must be paid to these see to it things so that we won't be kidnapped from our first love, Jesus Christ. And now, Pastor Robert Elliott presents. Verse 7, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. <laughs> you know, it's a simple little phrase at the beginning of verse 8, but I'd underline it too, see to it. You know, there's certain things that I see to. I see to it that I get a cup of coffee before I go out the door in the morning. And everybody who meets me the rest of the day is happy that I did. <laughs> I see to it that my mortgage payments are paid. Because if I don't see to it, the bank will see to it. I see to it that I find and carry my passport when I travel by airplane. I check my baggage, carry-on baggage, multiple times before I leave the house to make sure I have that travel document of my passport. I see to it that I set my alarm clock in the evening accurately, that the alarm is set to the a.m. time and not the p.m. time, and that the little toggle switch is over to alarm and not off alarm. I see to a lot of things in my life, and so do you. God says, church, see to it. Pay attention to the details. Be discerning. Double check. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy. In the second church I pastored, there was a British gentleman. I will not name him because this is on the internet. He looked like Santa Claus. White ring of hair and a nice bald head like mine. Overweight. Cheery. Jovial. Everybody loved this man. The problem was he was a heretic. And he came into our local church after, by self-admission, being a born-again Christian, young in life, and then walking away from the organized church in England for 30 years. Didn't study the Bible for 30 years. Didn't fellowship with any born-again Christians for 30 years. And then he had the bright idea of studying Eastern religions and merging them with the Bible. And he came into our church. And his particular lie and error was the false teaching about somebody called Maitreya. Maitreya is a Buddhist name, watch this, a Buddhist name for Melchizedek, who is a literal figure in the Old and referenced in the New Testaments. Maitreya was this man's most important focal point of faith. And in this heretical teaching that this man propagated in our church, he taught the central importance of Maitreya behind my back to our people in small groups, and he put Maitreya with our people on the same plane as Jesus Christ. He said and taught without me knowing it at first that Maitreya manifests himself in various ways and various places, and we ought to be looking for him everywhere. 
He taught that Maitreya does not need Jesus as savior from personal sin and that Maitreya does the work of world peace, promotion, and the alleviation of world hunger. This is all being taught to the sheep of Jesus' flock under my care in the second church without me knowing it. Then I found out about it. And I called him in and I confronted him on the lies he was teaching our people. I took him to scripture and I tried to see him come to repentance and he refused. With an arrogance that was not common when he was being Santa Claus with our people, he told me he had nothing to change and he wasn't going to stop. This man had been kidnapped by human deceptive philosophy. And so, on a Sunday like this Sunday, a communion Sunday in that church, we served communion. I stood in front of the Lord's table and I blew his cover. I named him by name. I described his heresy that he'd been teaching some of the flock. And I said because he was unrepentant, he was no longer welcome in our church until he repented. Problem solved? No. 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 Families got all up in arms. How could I treat Santa Claus like that? How could I be so mean, so unreasonable? We're leaving the church, and several families left the church. They said, you're being unjust. You're being hasty in your judgment. You're taking what he's saying out of context. He doesn't even have a trial to speak for himself in this whole matter. And then the... (laughs) The saddest one of all, this was in a letter. Haven't you had false doctrine in your life, Pastor? As if to say because anybody has had a false doctrine that it should be allowed in a church? Taken captive by philosophy. And it is so dangerous, church, that God tells us in this passage to walk carefully, to live carefully carefully, to be firmly rooted in Jesus Christ, and to avoid philosophical kidnapping. Because you know what happens? That some Christians who are kidnapped by humanistic philosophies never surface again. They never surface. They don't lose their salvation if they're saved, but they never surface again to worship the Lord with people of like precious faith. They never surface again to use their spiritual gift to magnify Christ. They never surface again to share the gospel with the lost and to see people come to saving faith in Christ. They just never surface. God warns us, live carefully. Root deeply into Christ. Avoid things that will take you captive like philosophy and empty deception and the tradition of men according to the elementary principles of the world, watch it, rather than according to Christ. Everything you believe, everything you choose to do, everything you choose not to do, everything you choose to say, everything you choose not to say, everything you think, everything you choose not to think must be according to Christ. No one else. Otherwise, we go MIA. Missing in action. Missing in action. Let's pray. Lord, you love us so much that you warn us. You don't want us to learn the hard way. You love us so much you want to prevent the damage before it happens. Help us to walk 
and to live wisely in him. Help us to be firmly rooted in Christ as found in the word of God. And help us, Lord, to see to it that no one takes us captive, that no one kidnaps us from our first love. For we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus and for his glory alone. Amen. And now, today's personal God story. I'm pleased this morning to have Judy Penn Robinson in the radio studio. How are you, Judy? I am wonderful, thank you. (laughs) Good. Uh, Judy has a personal story of how Jesus became her Lord and Savior. And why, why don't we start there? Well, I received the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior when I was about um, 13 years old. I went to Word of Life Camp in Stone Lake, New York. And um, it was Word of Life Camp. And I went forward one evening and you see the Lord as my Savior. Wonderful. I attended Word of Life Bible Institute in Scroon Lake, New York, so I have a sense of what that might have looked like. And they certainly uh, share Christ in an enthusiastic way, don't they? They certainly do. Yes. yes. And then, Judy, as your years have unfolded since that special time in your life, it, has, it hasn't always been easy for you with your health, has it? No, it hasn't. Yes. Maybe you could share a bit about that with our listeners. Sure. Well, in 2003, I got married. And, was, no, that's an exciting time of your life, of course. Yes. And um, we were, a couple of years into the marriage, we decided we'll, we'll start a family. And on the process of that happening, uh, we discovered that I had some illness, which I didn't know at the time. Yes. Because we thought we were, were expecting the baby. Mm-hmm. And um, went to the doctor and found out that I had stage for cancer, mm-hmm. um, and um, and it was a very devastating time for us. It was a difficult time, but we yeah. made it through. Yes, and so when you first got that diagnosis, um, was it easy to pray or was it hard to pray? Very difficult, mm-hmm. very difficult. Because the thing was, you didn't want you wasn't wasn't thinking about God or thinking about what He has in mind for you. You're just thinking about what the diagnosis was. You know, your doctor gives you a diagnosis and you automatically start thinking of death. What's going to happen next? Yes. Um, so your mind wasn't really on praying. Uh, it wasn't until about maybe a couple of weeks later that I realized that, wait a minute, I don't have to worry about these kinds of things. I don't have to stress myself over this. I can give everything to the Lord and let him lead me in the, in the right direction. Yeah, that's a real honest answer. I think that when we face devastating or huge difficulties that it isn't always the first thing we do is to pray no, but it isn't. in God's mercy he starts working on our behalf even when we haven't prayed but then the spirit of God reminds us to pray and God's people remind us to pray so were you able to receive some treatment for that illness yes um, I went through chemotherapy um, I went through uh, actually two sessions of chemotherapy and uh, it was a very difficult time it was extremely difficult uh, physically mentally and uh, it just was just a, a rough time it was a very rough time yes. and I had complications also along with that so yes so did the the church of Jesus Christ your brothers and sisters in Christ uh, play a positive role in that difficult time yes they did I had lots of people that uh, called came to visit um, sometimes they came to visit I was out of it and I didn't know what was going on but they were there um, I had people come and bring food. 
people say I'm praying for you, just little notes of encouragement, a little card here, a little call here. Um, it was just overwhelming, to be honest with you. It was really overwhelming. That's great. Overwhelming in a positive way. In a positive way, yes. Um, if someone was listening this morning, Judy, and they may know a friend or a family member who is contending with a serious diagnosis, what would you suggest are some of the best things that those caring people could do for a sick person? For someone who's sick, and especially if, if you're dealing with um, a sickness like cancer, mm -hmm. uh, the, the patient is basically very, normally very ill, mm -hmm. and so visiting for long hours is kind of hard because you, you have a hard time keeping up. But if they can just come by just for short, a short little chat, just uh, pray with them, bring some food for the family to eat, or even offer to do little things like cleaning the house or like maybe, can we wash the clothes for you? Um, or just a, a word of encouragement, a scripture verse that would be uplifting uh, time or, or a song, come and sing a song. I, I just love songs during that time. It was just soothing for the soul. That's, that's really yeah. very practical and uh, maybe we could remember that none of us can do everything but all of us can do something. That's right. And uh, so where are things at for you now? Well my cancer cells are starting to grow back again um, so I'm back into treatments again, back into chemotherapy. Um, it's, some days are good and some days are not but I, a lot of people tell me when, when they look at me they'll say well you don't look sick, or you look like you're happy, you look like you're healthy. And I am, to a certain extent, but there are certain things I cannot do anymore, certain things I, I, I'm told not to do, certain things I can't lift or move, or you know, certain things that just cause problems for me physically, and I get tired very, very easily. So that's a, a side effect of, of um, the chemotherapy also. Yes. Now, it sounds like you've been uh, very open with your medical situation to people that are around you, and I think that's commendable. Um, not every person with a serious medical problem feels that way. No. So would it be right to say that when you're around a person that you notice uh, whatever, they're, they're not doing what they used to do, or maybe they're not as buoyant as they used to be, that we ought to be careful not to prejudge what that means. Yes, that's true. That's true. Mm -hmm. yes. Now, um, I know you have a committed and a godly husband. Yes. Uh, what part has he played in all of this? Oh, my gosh. He's been amazing. Um, I, can't, I can't think of not having him around during the times I was sick. He was there with every doctor visit. The doctors knew his name. The nurses knew who he was. Um, every visit I went to, every chemotherapy treatment I went to, he was there. He was my right hand. Oh, that's beautiful. I know he continues to be now in this yes. uh, second stage yes. of your battle. Yes. Well, it is so good of you to come in. I know that you're a busy teacher, and uh, you've come in after school, and we're airing it on a Sunday morning, but you've come after school. So thank you for that. And I would you're love, welcome. Uh, yes, I would love to, uh, to pray for you and others that are facing serious illness who are listening to us this morning. Mm -hmm. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that although uh, the world has fallen into sin and because it has, there are physical diseases, that you can bring honor and glory to yourself in and through those diseases, in some cases healing in answer to prayer, and in other cases um, seeing through those who contend with the illness without having a physical healing this side of heaven. 
Lord, I pray for Judy's cancer. I pray that you would uh, do your good, perfect, and acceptable will in her body and in her life. I thank you that your joy, Lord Jesus, is still evident on her face and that she's pressing forward with the things that she wants to do, but also the things that she must do as a teacher and, and doing that in your strength. This morning, Lord, Judy and I particularly pray for the listener who is facing cancer or some other serious disease, that your peace could be theirs as they commit their way to you in prayer. For we are told in Philippians that we should pray about everything and worry about nothing, and that when we do, we will experience your inexplainable peace in exchange for our anxiety. So may that be Judy's portion, and may that be the portion of every listener this morning who is under uh, the care of a doctor for a serious disease. And we pray these things, Lord Jesus, in your wonderful and beautiful name together. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Judy. Thanks for coming in to talk. You're welcome. Today's Help for the Hearing segment is brought to you by Calvary Bible Church's Christian Counseling Center. The center is located at 58 Collins Avenue, Nassau, Bahamas. If you would like an appointment or more information, dial 323-7000. That's 323-7000. Or email them at cccbahamas at gmail.com. And now, the Executive Director of the Christian Counseling Center, Pastor Frederick Arnett. Thank you for having us in your homes again this morning. We are talking about a marriage and the expectations that we have when we are planning to get married. Uh, we talked about security. We talk about companionship. We talk about sex. And uh, this morning, I believe understanding and the tenderness that we are expecting from each other as a couple, how does that play within the marriage? Is it necessary to be tender or can I just be my old self and disregard you when I'm true using you, so to speak, after the sex? Can I just move on and it's business as usual? No, I think t understanding and tenderness comes even sometimes into play before sex. And I think it's experiencing regular touch or a kiss or a wink across the room or just saying, I love you, I care, I'm thinking of you. And this can be long before you get to the actual sex, okay? I, I also think that... Um, Finding out how someone spend their day is very important. Or helping with chores, that's being understanding and tender. Or just sitting there and holding hand and creating a space of silence rather than all the noise. The television is shut off and you're just in that quiet moment and you can reflect. And someone understanding that you need that space that's precious. That's a precious gift. Okay, how important do you think this is to the children, seeing that, you, you know, they're able to recognize that 
there is a tender relationship here. In other words, mom and dad are for real. Because I know in over the years, we always had our children bringing other children to our homes and they will come and meet us sitting in the living room or somewhere holding hands or in on the love seat and they would say to them the next day, boy, that's different. I never saw my mom and dad do that. Uh, again, how important do you think this is to allow your children, and not only your children, but people to see that it's not an outward necessarily expression when you're on the outside, when you are at church. But while you're in your home and you are relaxed, how important it is to show this tenderness, this caring attitude towards one another. I think it's a good model for our children. Uh, we, we as parents or caregivers or whoever must realize that we model marriage for our children. And the model they see is most likely is what they're going to live out. Right. So we want the next generation to have good marriages, good relationships. It's incumbent upon us to model this. And this understanding and tenderness is a very important or key ingredient to help in this. Because if the children see um, you are angry, they see anger, bitterness, profanity, they're going to model it. So it's important to not just have one life at church or one life in the business world or one life when you chilling with your neighbors or whoever they are, mm -hmm. your friends. It's important what you do because the home is the real place. And they're going to take it to the next generation. They're going to say, this is how my parents or my father treated my mother. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's important to really, really show genuine love. And even if they are disagreement, let them see that you disagree, but you are able to sit down and just have a healthy discussion. Because if you disagree and you hide in a corner or a room and they don't, then they won't know how to handle conflicts. That's right. They will have no idea. They just know this was this spot my parents had and they disappeared. But if they can see you sit down and talk about it, then they, can, they know how to handle conflicts. So all of this is a good moral understanding and tenderness. Okay. What I would like to end with this morning is, let's say you do have an argument, and this is, is very important, and it's in the front of the children. You should definitely make it an effort to show them how you make up in their presence, because I think one of the problems have been, as I work with couples, they would fight in the front of their children, they would have these spots of, of anger outbursts in the front of the children, but the child or the children never see them make up or apologize to each other. So it's very important for them to see that, hey, they're human. But once they would have worked through the issues, we see them make up and they would have something to go with. Thank you very much for listening again this morning. 
and have a blessed day. It's time for answers to your questions. We urge you to take a moment and get a pen and paper and take down the references used so that you can do your own study later on. We here at Echoes of Calvary are always excited to receive your letters of support and your questions, which we seek to answer right away and also here on the show. You can send us your letters at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com. Once again, here is Pastor Robert Elliott. Does God expect us to be holy? Answer, we are commanded to be holy. Ephesians 5 verse 8, Colossians 3 verse 12, Romans 12 verse 1, and many other verses. We're not only commanded to be holy, but we are called to holiness. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 7 and 2 Timothy 1 verse 9. But it's not just that. We are commanded to be holy, we are called to be holy, and we are already holy in our position before God being in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21, John 15.4-5, John 17 verse 9, 1 Peter 1 verse 16, Ephesians 1 verse 4, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 8. So, we are commanded to be holy, we are called to be holy, we already are holy in our position in Christ, and we must become who we are in Christ. Let me say that again. We must become who we already are in Christ. We are currently progressing in holiness. That's the normal Christian life, that we are progressing in our holiness John 17, verse 17, and the whole chapter of Romans, chapter 7. Uh, One day, we, in actuality, will be perfectly holy and eternally perfectly holy when we see the Lord Jesus Christ and we will be made to be like him. 1 John 3, verse 2. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 a.m. in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a Savior.